save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Joined now on the Five Reasons podcast by Stefania Bell, injury expert for ESPN. We very much appreciate her taking the time to do this. You can check her out on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, which also streams live on Twitter every day at 11 a.m. And you can check her out on NFL Live Fantasy Football now on Sundays all over ESPN's NFL coverage. Stefania, thank you for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the invite. All right, so we want to dig into uh, the Dolphins' uh, injuries, one injury in particular that has really uh, changed the specter of their season, and that, of course, is Ryan Tannehill. So let's dig into the actual injury itself, uh, and that is the capsule injury. That's what we've been told that this injury is. Now, now we here at the Five Reasons Sports Network and our uh, sister podcast, Three Yards Per Carry, have been saying that there's also uh, a labral tear in there as well. But what they've officially said is a capsule injury in his shoulder. Why would that prohibit him from even throwing that this isn't even a pain tolerance issue? This is a physical incapability. Can you explain the injury to us so that we can understand how that's possible? Well, I don't know that it that it isn't a pain issue. I mean, it sounds like Tannehill has said that he has discomfort with trying to throw. So, uh, but But essentially, the capsule is it's fibrous tissue around the joint and uh, in the shoulder. So you have basically the ball, the head, the head of the humerus, which is the arm bone articulates with the socket, which is the the round sort of more oval than round surface, relatively flat aspect of the shoulder blade. And so uh, that makes your, that's your shoulder joint where there, there's another smaller joint that contributes your AC joint, but for intents and purposes, we're talking about this, this joint and around every joint in the body you have this fibrous tissue and that is the capsule so the capsule provides some stability um, because it encapsulates the joint Um, but it uh, it also has it's it's tissue it has nerve endings it can be painful sometimes there there are other structures depending on the joint that attach to it like ligaments for example and so in the shoulder which is a very mobile joint Uh, and is prone to being dislocated because it is not, for example, like the hip where you have a ball and socket that's a real press fit, very hard to dislocate the hip for the shoulder. The compromise for having all that motion in the shoulder is that it's a little bit less stable. And if you have trauma that stretches that joint beyond its normal range of motion, one of the things that can happen is you can get tearing of the capsule. And depending on the exact location within the capsule, um, and and the size of the trauma to it, that will dictate just how limited the athlete is. And in the case of a thrower, you're talking about having to go through a particular motion that encompasses a huge range of motion within the shoulder. And at some particular point in the throwing, that different components of the capsule are going to be under stress. So if there's an area that's weakened because of a tear um, and or painful, that can be problematic every time you go to throw because every time you go through that motion, 
you're stressing an area that's torn. Okay. So if you got two different things going on here, Stefania, which is one, you know, again, a discomfort issue, which he's acknowledged. And two, we've got a strength issue. Um, to me, the, I always look at those two things totally differently, which is, you know, fans will look at it when someone has a pain tolerance issue and they'll be like, okay, he should be out there and playing if, if that's the case. If it's a strength issue, that's going to affect the performance directly. And I think one of the things that's come out throughout this process was that, you know, when Gase had Tannehill throw late in that week before the Bears game, he just couldn't make any of the previous throws that he used to make with any velocity. And I think that even came about in the Cincinnati game. So if he has both a strength issue and a pain issue, how reasonable is it with an injury like this to get him back on the field anytime soon? Well, um, so it's actually, I would say it's slightly different. There's a pain issue, um, but there can also be because it's a shoulder stability issue. And remember, the capsule is partially responsible for your shoulder feeling stable. So um, if, if there's enough of it, and again, we don't know exactly where within the capsule this injury is, but based on, go back to the video, based on the mechanism of injury with him getting hit when he was in the kind of in the wind-up phase of his throwing, it would appear, and I'm guessing a bit because I have to, based, uh, because no one's going to kind of tell me, but based on the mechanism, it would appear that he was probably most likely strained the anterior part of the capsule. So it can also feel a little unstable. In other words, that joint can slip a little bit. It can feel like it's sliding a little more than usual. Um, and instability gives you a different sensation than just pure pain. However, you can have pain in conjunction with instability. And as far as strength goes, uh, it, it's, it's hard to say. It's not a pure pain tolerance issue in the sense of like, I'm just going to press through this. Sometimes when you get pain that comes at a certain arc of motion, like throwing, it basically zaps your strength instantaneously. So if you're taking your arm and you're bringing it through a range of motion to make an overhead throw and you hit a point where you get a sharp pain or a catch, which... A, Athletes will often describe a catching feeling if there's any sort of instability or something that makes the joint motion abnormal to them. It's basically like something is zapping your strength instantly. It, it, you, can, you can sympathize with this if you've ever had you know, a pain like in your knee or something that makes it want to buckle or give way. And it doesn't matter how strong you are. It just completely will take you out. And that happens with throwers. We see it in baseball pitchers all the time where they hit a point in their motion where that pain kicks in and it's very, it's sharp and it's instantaneous and they lose their strength. So picture if you're an overhead thrower and you're going through your throwing motion and you hit a painful spot coming near the top of your arc, you're just going to lose everything off the ball. Even if I were to test you in the gym, for example, and put you through resistive testing or weights in certain positions, you could demonstrate that you're at full strength. But when you go through that motion, you hit that pain or instability, all of a sudden your strength gives way. And that's why it's a more complex situation when you're trying to get somebody back from this kind of injury than just say, pure strengthening or telling them to push through it because they often don't know when they're going to hit that spot. So would you say that the timetable is just indeterminate, that it's just based off of when it no longer feels like that? Yes. And I think that the timetable, you know, they're talking about week 12, but that certainly sounds optimistic to me, given the fact that uh, apparently just yesterday he couldn't do as much as they hoped he would be able to do. So, uh, you know, the thing about capsular injuries is there's a wide range in terms of how long it takes them to heal. And some can and will heal on their own and some will not. Again, this all goes back to the dimensions of the injury and where it is 
in the capsule and if it's something that requires surgery, and I know they have said that it doesn't in his case and so on, but if you ultimately can't get better from something and it inhibits you from throwing and throwing is what, how you make your living, uh, they may have to go in with a scope and at least look at what's going on. Now, for guys who are just recovering and you know letting it heal, if you will, to come back, a four to six week recovery is not completely out of the realm of normal, but that might be just to get to the point where you can start to make throws. That may not be to where you're fully functional to perform as an NFL quarterback. So I think uh, the timetable is optimistic. I can't say from a distance because I haven't seen him. I haven't evaluated him. I can't tell you that it's uh, completely um, out, of, out of the range of possible. But given how limited he still is and the fact that he's still experiencing the discomfort he is when throwing, it sounds optimistic. Yeah, and there's one other element to this, too, that I wanted to bring up. Um, Our guys at Three Yards Per Carry kind of touched on this in their last podcast, but Ryan is a big believer in kind of homeopathic type therapy. we saw it uh, with the ACL injury. Yeah. With, with, with the ACL injury. And and I know that that was a bit of an issue at the time with the team. And, you know, the mm-hmm. team wanted him to go in and get it done. And he wanted to go this other direction. And, you know, our guys, and I'm not speaking out of turn here because they, they touched on this a little bit on their podcast, um, you know, that they've heard some similar things here. That and, and I do think the timing has been interesting for some of Ryan's tweets of late where he keeps tweeting out about this, you know, particular, I I don't know the right term for it, but it's sort of a natural healing type uh, situation. Like he's basically doing Twitter endorsements for them and he did it in a week. Mm. He did it in a week uh, when the stuff about his shoulder started to leak out, which again, I, we found the timing to be really odd there. So maybe it's just completely circumstantial, but I looked back and he hadn't done it in quite a while. And then all of a sudden the shoulder stuff's going on and, He's tweeting about kind of non-conventional um, methods. I, I'm just curious from your experience uh, dealing with athletes and, and, and relationships with teams, how often is it that the team's preference for a course of action is different from the athlete's preference for the course of action of treatment? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I don't know that I can give you a number to quantify it. I do think, you know, obviously the CBA has that in place. Athletes are free to get other opinions. And I would just say from uh, the medical perspective, you talk to team physicians and they're happy when they seek other opinions. At least the ones who are worth their salt are happy because uh, they want the athlete to feel like they have explored whatever options there are. And especially if they go see someone else and someone recommends a similar course of care, that can often be a positive reinforcement for the athlete. Like, okay. You know, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing, seeing a couple different people, sometimes more than two. Um, the rule is basically that they have, they have it in place so they can get a second opinion if they choose to seek a third or a fourth or what have you, then that's out of their pocket. But, uh, th- you know, people welcome that because it's a good discussion point and you want the patient to be informed. That being said, um, Sometimes if it's something completely outside the course of what's supported by science or what we call it evidence-based practice, if there's something that's really outside of that, it does become difficult. And I've certainly seen cases where athletes are, are open to trying things that are untested, unverified. I mean, if you just go to something as simple as supplements and some of the things guys will take. Uh, for all the care they take of their body, I'm shocked at how they're willing to sometimes 
try supplements that, you know, nobody's they haven't had lab testing to prove that what's in them is what is claimed to be in them and so on and so forth. But um, so I, I think it's, it's not that they seek different opinions. It's a question of what a kind of opinions are they getting? Are they things that are supported by science? And, you know, there's certainly a lot of different philosophies. There's a lot of people who believe in Eastern medicine and the approaches might be very, very different. A lot of athletes who get acupuncture and, you know, that's not necessarily something a Western medicine oriented uh, staff might provide, but it doesn't mean it can't be complimentary and helpful. So I'm not really sure what all he is looking at or trying, but I'm, I'm sure there's discussion point around it. I will say this, uh, the ACL situation surprised me because what we know about the ACL is uh, it, it basically comes down to not whether it's a complete tear or partial tear. You hear that, that you hardly ever see truly a partial tear in ACL. It's more of an MRI diagnosis than a, than a, than a true operative diagnosis. And it's also functionally, if you have enough damage to your ACL that your knee's unstable, then you need to have it repaired. If you are a professional athlete playing football, knowing that you need to have a stable knee. Um, and if you don't, it's, it's just not going to heal itself. It's not going to happen. And so for him, when he opted to rehab it without, again, he's not someone I've ever seen or evaluated. So I thought to myself, well, his knee must functionally be pretty stable uh, for him to do that. But the concern was it may not take much for him to get to a point where he proves that, that this is not going to be successful. And it, and it didn't. You know, he came back and obviously we know how that ended. In the shoulder, there's a lot more understanding of why a thrower doesn't go for surgery right away. Um, and surgery is not usually the recommended first course of action unless it's something completely traumatic, um, you know, full thickness, rotator cuff tear, complete dislocation with lots of trauma. Those are the kind of things where you might need surgery right away. But in most cases, you don't, and you want to try conservative care because the minute you operate on a thrower's shoulder, there are a lot of things that can happen and make it difficult to come back. And you just, all you need to do is look at Andrew Luck and look at how difficult it was for him to return, even when he had a surgery that he believes he ultimately needed. So conservative treatment is not unusual with the kind of situation that Tannehill has, even if it doesn't work it would still be the right first course of action. What would you need to see in reporting from, you know, reporters on the ground in the injury report for you to feel like, all right, Ryan Tannehill is going to be good to go. What signs do you think you need to see for, for him to make a recovery this year? Well, we just want to hear about his throwing, you know, that it's improving. Ultimately, you know, he's got to throw in practice, so we're going to see it or we're not going to see it. But, you know, it, it's can he make the throws that he needs to make. That would... Those things would basically tell you whether he's ready to come back or not. The problem is going to be once you get into a game situation, you certainly can't prevent him from getting hit again in the way that he did. There's no way to say that this will not be a problem again, if he, even if he returns and at the time looks, feels great, sounds great, all of that. If he were to fall, for example, and land on his elbow or his shoulder and stress that particular area of the capsule again, it, it could be problematic enough to send him out for the rest of the season. Certainly if he gets hit while he's making his throwing motion in a similar fashion, uh, and it's kind of unusual, you know, it'd be hard to simulate that exact hit again, but it might not take something as dramatic 
to cause a setback. So even if he comes back and looks fantastic, I would not say that he's out of the woods. You know, he really will need the benefit of of an off season. I kind of think there are three scenarios. One is um, that he doesn't come back at all. You know, he just can't mm-hmm. get throwing right. And this proves to be too problematic for him to return. One is that he comes back. Um, he's functional when he returns, but either due to the repetition of throwing again or taking a few hits or taking one big hit that becomes problematic, then that forces him out. And the third is that he comes back and he's fine. And I don't think anyone can tell you in advance what the answer to that will be. We'll get back to our episode with Stefania Bell here in a second. But first, I want to tell you about a great new sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Brunt Insurance, where you can find all of your protection under one roof. What does that mean? It means home, auto, commercial, and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire great state of Florida, Pensacola, all the way down to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines, so they'll make sure you're paying the lowest rate in your particular area. Also, and this is important, they are proud sponsors of the Homes for Heroes program, which offers special discounts to first responders, teachers, military, and healthcare professionals. So you've got to check out bruntinsurance.com or at Brunt Insurance on Twitter. That's B-R-U-N-T. You can also reach them at 954-589-2204. The Dolphins were actually fined for the way that they handled this injury. I imagine all the time in your capacity is trying to get injury expert to both fantasy players and NFL fans of their teams come across roadblocks all the time with getting accurate information. What have you made of the way that the Dolphins have handled this injury? Well, I think um, it's important to clarify what exactly they were fined for because the week that it happened, and I'm sure as everyone in South Florida is well aware, it it was a surprise, right? We're going into the game. We're sort of hearing these rumblings that maybe Brock Osweiler is going to start. And it seemed to come out of nowhere. And part of the reason it came out of nowhere is because nobody really knew about it until Tannehill showed up as a questionable after Friday's practice. And it turns out that on Thursday, the day before, he had actually been limited in practice. Brock Osweiler got some of the first team reps and Tannehill missed some of those reps, yet he was listed as a full participant. So naturally, the reporters who cover the team, if they had seen after Thursday's practice report that he had been limited, it might have prompted them to ask Adam Gase about that in their session with him on Friday. The reporters ended up meeting with Gase before Friday's injury. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Court was out. So when Friday came out and it said he was limited and questionable, there was no further opportunity for reporters to ask the questions. And that is essentially 
why the team was fined because on Thursday, Tannehill was listed as a full participant when he, in fact, was a limited participant. So you can see how that led to confusion, uh, people not being able to get information that they would normally get. And that's one of the reasons that the NFL has an injury report is so that players can be listed as full participants, limited, uh, which means anything short of your normal reps. So it's hard to interpret that, whether that's, you know, 75% of your reps or 25% of your reps that they don't have to specify, but they can just specify limited and then non-participant, of course, if they did not participate in practice. So the idea is that everybody has access to that same information and the body part is also listed. And I think if people had seen that, they would have thought, hmm, you know, maybe there's something to look at here as it was. They did not. And when they saw the he was limited a little bit on Friday. Nobody thought, didn't really think that was necessarily a big deal until there seemed to be some questions Sunday morning. Well, Stefani, what was odd about this situation, a couple of things. Um, uh, first thing, I, I think that investigation based on uh, Albert Breer's reporting uh, actually started because the Dolphins put Tannehill down as questionable rather than doubtful. And, and I, I know this personally because the Dolphins were not happy with us as a network because on Saturday night when we got wind that he might not play, I used the wording doubtful to say about his status when I guess I could have said not likely to play because I, I, it's, that's not a technical injury report term, but we had basically heard there was no chance he was playing on Sunday morning. And so according to Albert's reporting, what basically happened there was that they started the investigation because of that but didn't ultimately ding the Dolphins because of that. They dinged them because, as you mentioned, the practice report, we're now five weeks into this. Um, before every game, we've reported as a network that Tannehill's not going to play. Uh, before every game, Gase has sort of equivocated about it. Even at one point, I found a story from October 18th where he said Ryan can throw if he wants to. Now, that's like almost three, three and a half, four weeks ago. Um, that you know basically was just not being forthright about that. And now, so I guess what's happened here is we're at a stage where I don't know that the fans believe anything that's coming out of there about Ryan, <laughs> right? Because, because every week it's, you know, it, it's not the whole truth. And we're, we're constantly reporting he's not going to play. And he, they're constantly sort of leaving it open, saying he can throw if he wants to. He's throwing with his left hand. He's throwing beanbags. He's in the circus. I mean, he's doing all these different things except actually throwing a football without pain beyond seven yards. So when a team is doing that, when it's extending this long, is that just that they don't know? Or is, is in your experience with teams, is it more so there's some other motive that they don't want the information getting out there, whether it's a preparation issue, whether it's freaking out the fans, whatever it is that they just don't want the reality getting out to the fan base. I think it's often a combination, but it really depends on the, the, the profile of the team. You know, and I, I've talked about this on our show a lot. There are teams that um, I'll give you an example, Atlanta Falcons, really forthcoming. Dan Quinn just doesn't waste a lot of time. And he tells you on Friday how the players are looking, who's likely to play. Uh, his routine is pretty straightforward. Uh, you take somebody like Julio Jones, who's been banged up a fair amount, and at, at risk of not playing at times, and Dan Quinn has said, if I see what I need to see on Friday, the medical staff clears him, and I see from my eyeball test that he can do what he needs to do for us to run the offense effectively with him in it, then he can play. And so there's really not a whole lot of questions. Um, even, even if he says, like, we feel good about it now, we still have to test him on game day, you at least get that. So you have teams that do that. And then you have teams like the Detroit Lions 
who all they will say is check the injury report, check the injury report. Like it is, it is like a broken record. I mean, to the point of being rude, right? Because r- reporters have a job to do. So I, I feel like that's not fair either. And so there, there are sort of these two extremes. And then a lot of the teams operate somewhere in the middle or they don't want to give it all away. And part of that is game planning. They don't necessarily want everyone to know, hey, this guy's not going to play so that the you know defense they're facing knows how to game plan around that. Um, but there's also an element of what you referred to where they just don't know. I mean, m- most injuries, people are, <laughs> you know, I, I would, I always ask people when you've gone to the doctor for something or physical therapy or whatever it is that you might be going for treatment, some kind of medical treatment, how often do they tell you, guarantee you this could be better in X amount of time and you're going to return to hundred percent at this point on this day. I mean, that's just not how medicine works. So we have an idea based on the tissue involved, based on the nature of the injury, based on that particular athlete, based on their particular history, how something is likely to play out and you can set a target, sort of a soft target when they'll return. But rarely outside of a fracture taking about six weeks to heal, you really don't have um, an exact time frame. Everything's always fluid. And then if you get an injury that's at all, that's at all sort of out of the realm of customary, you know, something that's a little less usual and, you know, maybe more complex, it's hard to give an exact timetable. So I think what happens is in their effort to, A, shield the player a little bit because they don't want the player being subject to questions every single day. And I understand this. Reporters going, so what are you doing today? What are you doing today? What are you doing today? Because it's really hard on the player when they're trying to recover. Um, but also because they're trying to not give it away so that they will try to parse the words a little bit. And sometimes in doing that, they say things that make no sense. They say things that are inaccurate and it ends up blowing up on them a little bit. And in the case of the Dolphins, uh, they really, as you said, they were, they're sort of this game playing going on a little bit from Adam Gase. I think after the league did their investigation, the fine happened. It was amazing. All of a sudden, Ryan Tannehill was available to reporters. Uh, it seemed like there was more information that came out about what he was doing and sort of what the expectation is and what week they're targeting for his return, whether that's reasonable or not, we can talk about. But I felt like once that happened, they were a little bit more forthcoming. And I have a feeling that going forward, the answers you get are going to be a little bit better. And the last part of that that plays into this is he's due $18.5 million next year. And I, I, I just... I, I just wonder how that plays in from both sides. Um, from from his side, you know, do you want to go get surgery if you think you're going to get cut and then you're out on the open market? I mean, we just saw this. Someone we're going to ask you about here is Dion Waiters, who, who did not want to get surgery uh, before the Heat signed him to a four-year deal and then couldn't hardly play and then ultimately needed surgery and is still not back. And I just wonder if Tannehill will want to go – uh, you know, have surgery when he's got a situation where he may be a free agent next season. And from the team's perspective, um, you know, obviously the injury plays into their decision whether to keep him for $18.5 million. I think with all of these decisions, the money, uh, the money plays into it. I, I know we want to transition to a couple more things while we've got you, Stefania. So let, let's go to the Heat and, and a couple of their players. I, I mentioned Dion Waiters. Um, Dion had a, a, an ankle injury late in the 2000, I guess it would be 2016, 2017 season when he was playing really well, ended up missing a mm-hmm. few games, didn't, didn't have surgery, 
like I mentioned, gets a four-year contract, tries to play through it, is kind of a disaster, ultimately has a surgery, is still not back. Um, is that customary for an ankle situation? I guess I'll start there. And, uh, you know, when, when you're dealing with a guy also who maybe gets out of shape, as we've seen Dion do uh, when he's not there, how much harder is it to try to get back? Well, there's a few things. I mean, one is that his ankle injury, if he truly had, you know, it, it's one thing you ha- you're talking about two different issues here because he had the ankle, you know, essentially it sounds like a lateral reconstruction, but basically to help with uh, instability that he had ankle repeated sprains and and so forth. So you're basically shoring up the ankle, if you will, um, reinforcing where those ligaments have been damaged over time from repeated sprains to give you more stability. But the other issue is they had this navicular fracture that apparently had had been there and that was repaired simultaneously and the navicular is a really important bone in the foot and ankle and it's problematic if that uh, does not heal or you you end up having a major problem with that it it can end your career just ask yeah me that was his injury and so um, when you're talking about a repair there and again there's not always a ton of detail that's available but that's Typically, if they're going in and surgically going to address that, there's some bone grafting involved. And that takes months for the graft to take. You want to make sure that it's 100% healed before you're subjecting them to repeated load. So you're talking about extending the recovery window substantially. I mean, Joel Embiid had this, and we know how much time he missed. So it's hard to know whether this is an issue of them, you know, wanting to make sure that he's really fully healed through all aspects, you know, both components of this surgery. And it's hard to say that you can stay conditioned when you're so restricted because you're allowing this injury to heal. So uh, I can understand why he was reluctant to get it done because the timetable was going to be extensive to begin with. And now I think uh, I think you're seeing the fallout of that. This is a really long recovery, but at the end of the day, you want him to recover 100% before you go back, or you're going to find yourself in the same position of having to get a, a repeat surgery. And the other Heat player that, that we found interesting is James Johnson, who had sports hernia surgery back in May and revealed to the press that he was basically keeping a sports hernia away from the Heat because he wanted to keep playing and was playing through an obvious injury. I guess my question would be, how the hell can you play through a sports hernia, and uh, and how long is that is that recovery? typically so this is interesting to me because a true so sports hernia that term is is disappearing somewhat from the sports medicine vernacular at least um, Bill Myers who's essentially the godfather of this type of surgery and he's based out of Philadelphia is trying to get us to change the way we reference it now it's being called um, I mean he's leading the charge a core muscle injury so if you've seen that terminology a core muscle repair you see it much more in football right now at least that people are using that terminology that's the replacement term for sports hernia and part of the reason that he has really been pushing for us to change the way we talk about it is because a sports hernia is not a hernia at all um an inguinal hernia, which is what most people think of when they think of hernia, is where you you have a palpable mass. Like you have something that is basically, you have tissue that's herniating through somewhere in the abdomen or the groin. And in the case of what was 
used to be called a sports hernia, you don't have anything that is herniated. So there is no mass. It's just an injury to the abdominal walls or the groin musculature, all of which make up core muscles. So you're right. It's very difficult. You lose a lot of explosiveness when you have an injury like this, because if you think about it, a lot of all your power, all your explosion, when you try to run or jump comes from your core. You know, you, you use your legs, of course, but that has to translate up through the core. And so if you have damage there, if you have an abdominal muscle that's torn and um, not to be too graphic, but it's not just a tear in the wall. I mean, this is often torn away from the bone in the pelvis. And so it, it can be excruciating. And depending, again, these are present in a variety of ways. So kind of like we were talking about the shoulder capsule, where it depends on the size and location, what have you. Similar thing with these type of injuries. Where is it? How big is it? And essentially what determines whether a guy can play is how much does it compromise his function? You know, is it something that's uncomfortable? Uh, he may not be playing at 100%. He may be playing at 75 or 80%. But he can still get through it. That guy's probably going to play and finish out the season. Um, in some cases, um, you look at uh, Nick Bosa in college, Ohio State, who basically that, that, that was, he was done. He, he could not because he could not run. He had zero power. So it will present different ways in, in different folks. Once you ultimately get it repaired, though, the recovery window and again, variable one person to the next, but it can be anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. Typically, we see these guys return within six to eight weeks. So knowing that he had this procedure at the end of May, I'm not sure we know the whole story. <laughs> and uh, I haven't seen where he had the surgery. Um, I don't know if you guys know that, but I couldn't seem to, to find mm -hmm. it. And um, when I w was getting ready to talk to you guys, I couldn't seem where to find it. And so... Uh, depending who's doing it, uh, there are some differences in terms of the approach, but hmm. uh, it is curious to me that he's having trouble and not back yet. And you don't know if it's just conditioning. Some guys will tell you, like, I could come back, but I'm just, they don't feel quite like themselves until a year has gone by because it just feels like it's so little tight uh, or they're getting used to the fact that they've had this repair. But for him to not be out there, playing by now is honestly a bit of a surprise. All right, Stefania, last one for you, and then we'll let you go. Um, there was uh, – I, I see in the – I follow the injury report all week because I, uh, I do the pregame show for the Dolphins, so I'm just kind of curious how things progress. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I've noticed is for Danny Amendola, for Cameron Wake, and for Frank Gore – they give them each a day off from practice. It's usually either Wednesday mm -hmm. or Thursday, and it'll say not injury-related. My guess is it's almost like a DNP rest in basketball where you're just taking yeah. a day off. So they could, And particularly for Amendola, this is a player who has had difficulty staying healthy for Wake and Gore. I imagine age plays a role. How much do you see mm -hmm. the, the NFL taking on a DNP rest kind of attitude with players, particularly – in older ages so that they can pr prolong their seasons and stay healthy for 16 games. Oh, you're absolutely right. They're doing it more and more. You're now seeing, I, because I obviously pay attention to the injury reports for every team and you're now seeing virtually every team is using this um, for their veteran players. You know, you get a guy like Frank Gore, uh, who at this point seems indestructible. He's a medical marvel. He, hasn't, <laughs> I, he, he really is. And, and believe me, coming out of college as somebody who's a graduate at the University of Miami, my grad school, I'm well aware that people didn't trust him to stay healthy after all the, all the um, 
trauma he suffered when he was at University of Miami, but he's managed to figure out how to keep himself healthy in the NFL, which is amazing. But as he gets up there, the way to help maintain him is to make sure you're not killing him during the week with practice. So we are seeing this more and more, either guys who've dealt with a lot of injuries in the past or uh, guys who are just more veteran players that they are wanting to conserve during the week so that they can maximize what they get out of them on the weekend. You're seeing a lot more and you're, you're exactly right. That's how it's qualified in the injury report. It will say not injury related. In other words, it's a rest day. They're not getting treatment per se for something, but they are not practicing uh, because the team is opting to give them a day of rest. And I, I think it's smart. You know, there's nothing we we're, we're getting away from the days where it's, you know, you, you just got to impress your teammates by going out there and, and doing something every day. And sometimes they have to make the players take that break. They know that the way Frank Gore practices, if you talk to anybody who ever played with him, and I have, they're like, that guy wants all the reps. He he does everything in practice. He goes 100%. So the team's best way to manage him is to say, you're not out there on Thursday <laughs> you know, or whatever day <laughs> do just to make sure that he's not overdoing it and that he does get that downtime so I think it's smart I think you're good you know as we learn more about rest and sleep and nutrition and all these other things that factor into performance and recovery I think you're going to see this utilized more and more and it's smart Stefania Bell check her out on Twitter at Stefania underscore ESPN she is ESPN's injury analyst and every day on with the 06010 fantasy football today podcast with ESPN. Appreciate the time and uh, it's Fantasy Football Now, excuse me, Fantasy Football Now on ESPN. Thank you very much for the time and uh, thanks for the amazing information. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.